Well, we're here. This is the launch of our Advent season and our Advent service. And in the Christian tradition, Advent is a season of preparation. Preparation of our hearts for the celebration of Christ coming into the world 2,000 years ago. But also a preparation for the promise that Christ will come again. Not as a baby, but he will come as a conquering and victorious king. We live in between these two times. And Advent typically begins the first Sunday of the month of December. I know it's a little bit different for evangelicals, but it begins the first Sunday of December, and it culminates in the celebration of Christmas, the day that we celebrate the historic event that we've just been singing about, the first coming or Advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that took place 2,000 years ago with that supernatural conception in a virgin's womb that we just sang about. Jesus of Nazareth, coming as a baby, being born, the eternal Son of God in flesh, and residing and sleeping in a manger in a small town in Palestine called Bethlehem, which is also known as the city of David. And all of this in fulfillment of the many promises God gave throughout the Old Testament and the scripture of which we read, the promise of a Savior King who would bring God's light into this dark world to save his people from their sins, but also to bring the glory of God's salvation to the ends of the earth, to the nations, to people of every color and every tongue. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is to take a little bit of time to share with you from God's Word why Advent and Christmas are so special for Christians. And the reason is directly connected to our theme for Advent, what the children sang to us this morning, light of the world. During the Christmas season, I'm sure it's hard for you not to miss that this is to varying degrees, a celebration of lights. There are lights everywhere. You can head down to Los Gatos and go for a festival of lights. Everywhere you go, there are lights. And some of this, with Advent, began in Germany with Lutherans who were ministering to poor children and bringing them the gospel, and they could not wait for Christmas to come. And so the practice was to have an Advent wreath and to have candles and to light a candle for each week, counting down the days and the weeks until Christmas would arrive, allegedly with old Saint Nick. And over the centuries, Christmas really has become, in many ways, Advent and Christmas, this festival of lights, what we think of with shopping and the music as there are people who I know who sing all these Backstreet Boys songs and Mariah Carey songs. I won't tell you who they are, okay? And all of these different things, this festival of lights. But what is it, brothers and sisters, that sets apart Christmas and Advent from all the other festival of lights that take place during the cold winter season, be it Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Diwali, which you know has been building up over the last few months. And the answer to that is really a simple truth that is consistently overlooked in our busyness of the season. 
and really the source of our greatest joy. And it's the simple truth that Jesus explains in John 8, 12 to a group of religious Jews who have come to Jerusalem from all across Palestine and all across the Roman Empire in order to celebrate God's salvation and his deliverance of his people from darkness. It's the simple truth that we see that I put in massive fonts here so you can't avoid missing it, right? It was also for the kids as well this morning. Where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now it's worth noting that when Jesus says this, he does not say, I am a light. He does not say, I am one of many lights. He does not say, I have come to bring light. And he does not say, I have come to bring a festival of lights. He says, I am past, present, and future, the light of the world. And in Greek, that word for world is cosmos, which accounts for the entirety of the universe, every conceivable galaxy, all of creation, the sun, moon, and stars, and every living creature, and that includes you and I. That, brothers and sisters, is a simple truth, but a bold statement. And brothers and sisters, what sets apart Advent and Christmas from all the other festival of lights is this simple truth. That the light of Christmas is Jesus Christ. That he is the light of the cosmos. But it doesn't stop there. It's the simple truth that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will possess his light and his life. And that, brothers and sisters, is a truth that no other festival can even conceive of because it's so far removed from the human experience. And it's worth remembering, brothers and sisters, and it's worth considering what it is that we're celebrating. When Jesus says this, he is speaking to a group of Jews, a group of religious Jews. And what was common knowledge to these religious Jews who had all come to celebrate the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles or Sukkot, okay, what was common knowledge to all these Jews, especially Jews who knew their scripture, was that according to God's word, the light of the world is not a title that belongs to the sun, moon, or stars, or a religious man, or a rabbi, or a prophet, or a priest, or a king. The light of the world is a title that rightfully belongs to one person and one person alone. So holy and so sacred is that person that the Jewish people would not even mention his name as it is written in Scripture. They refer to him as Hashem, the name. Because to say that name in the Old Covenant with an impure heart and an impure tongue, would be considered close to blasphemy. The light of the world is the title that rightfully belongs to the one true God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the Redeemer of Israel, the Holy and Eternal Creator of the universe. He is the one who from the very beginning of creation has always been 
the eternal source and Lord of all light and all life. And the testimony of God's word from Genesis 1 onwards is that there is a light that is greater and more essential and more necessary in our lives than the sun and the moon and the stars. And this is the light that created the sun, moon, and stars. And this is the light that created you and I. The light of the one who is the light of the world. And as you go through the scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, you're going to see this over and over and over again. That word light is always used in association with the glory of the one true God. And so in Psalm 27.1, King David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And Isaiah 60.19, the prophet Isaiah refers to the Lord as the everlasting or eternal light. And in 1 John 1.5, the Apostle John writes, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And that's worth stopping, brothers and sisters and church family, to think, is this how I think of, or is this how I know the God of the Bible? Is He your light and your salvation? And in the darkest of times, in the darkest of moments, are you able to say, I will not be afraid. Why? Because He is with me. Well, this was common knowledge to the Jews in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament and also the New Testament. Jesus was saying he was the God of the Bible, Yahweh Elohim. But what was also common knowledge to all the Jews, especially religious Jews who knew both their scripture and their history, was that without this God, who is the light of the world, there is absolutely nothing but darkness and death. And this is the testimony of God's word beginning in Genesis 1. And sadly, this is, brothers and sisters, the reality and history of our world. A world that from Adam and Eve onwards has rejected and run from the light and life of God because we feel we can do better. We can get a better deal on Black Friday. We can get a better career at a better college. We can get a better house. And the list goes on and on. We can do it ourselves and we can get there and fulfill our American dream. We just need the light of Hawaii or the Caribbean. No offense to anybody who's going there anytime soon. But you understand what I'm saying. We are able to get sunshine and we're able to get light and we're able to do whatever we need. We just have to work hard enough and study hard enough and make enough good deals. But not so when we come to God's word in the history of the Jewish people. In the history of the Jewish people, they knew this and the brutality of this firsthand, that without God's presence in their midst, without his light and life, there is this descent into darkness and wickedness and evil. And so the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John excuse me, writes in John 3.19, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And in Romans 1.21-23, the Apostle Paul explains where this rejection of God's light inevitably leads, and it leads to two terminal conditions. 
Dark hearts and spiritual blindness. Dark hearts and spiritual blindness. The inability to see and know the truth and grace of God. The inability to see and know right from wrong. The inability to know or see good and distinguish what is good and what is evil. The inability, brothers and sisters, to see how far from God we are and how unable we are to save ourselves or to get out of the darkness. And brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the world that we live in. And this is the nation that we live in, post-Christian America. From our pastors, to our presidents, to our churches, to our mass shooters and our rappers and our presidents who all profess to be Christian, and yet they barter in anti-Semitism. It's interesting to consider how many of those mass shooters profess to be Christians, right? Those who put swastikas up, professing to be Christians and reading their Bibles. And yet, brothers and sisters, reading your Bible is not a substitute for the light of God and the life of God being in your heart and your home. Without that, you're even worse or more, spiritual, more spiritually blind, right? Than pagans living in the most primitive parts of the world. Without God, without His life, without His light, there is nothing but darkness and death. And from slavery in Egypt to brutal foreign exiles to repeated holocausts, the darkness of this world and the spiritual blindness of this world is nothing new, brothers and sisters. It is and was a reality that the Jews who Jesus was speaking to, well, they knew this firsthand as they came to worship under Roman occupation and they still remembered the Greek conquering where Greek generals came and slaughtered a pig in the temple and put an all-out war in trying to eliminate Judaism. They knew that this is a dark world. And in fact, that was one of the reasons they were gathered in Jerusalem at this time in John 8 when Jesus speaks to them in the temple. They had come to Jerusalem at the temple at this time to remember the light of God's salvation in the past, what he had done during the Exodus, and to pray for the return of God's light in the present, as promised in God's word and in those passages that Teddy and Tad read to us and J.C. read to us. And this, brothers and sisters, what is what Sukkot, or the festival of tabernacles or booths, was all about. I drove my wife crazy this week because I was continually listening to podcasts from Messianic Jews and rabbis and others and sharing with her everything I was learning about the festival of booths and tabernacles and Sukkot. Sukkot was one of the three primary feasts given by God in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy 16. And it was a feast or a festival that involved lights that was given to remember and celebrate who God is, and how he had delivered his people out of the darkness of this world during the Exodus. Through their exodus out of slavery in Egypt, through their journey through the wilderness, and then their arrival in the promised land. And for each stage of this journey, and it's worth noting 
how God gave a feast for each stage of this journey, which is a journey out of darkness and into the light. How God in love did not do it all in one shot, but saw the need to love his people by bringing them stepwise, step by step by step, out of the darkness and evil of this world, beginning with the darkness and evil of slavery and the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. And that first feast that was commanded that all the men had to gather in Jerusalem was Passover. And the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish, and the shedding of blood so that the angel of death would pass over, and so that God's judgment would be averted. First feast, second feast, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths. And then the third one, the Feast of Pentecost which was a celebration of fruitfulness and a celebration of the fruit of the promised land once they had finally arrived, that God had given them life. And in the middle is the festival of Sukkot, which was a remembrance or celebration of the Israelites' journey through the harsh and barren wilderness of Sinai, where God led and He provided and He protected His people, where He loved them, with the light of His Spirit and His Word. So for seven days, when you go and you read Exodus 23 and Leviticus, so for seven days, all the Jewish men during this time were called to gather in Jerusalem. And they were commanded to make huts or booths out of palm branches and tree branches. And they were commanded for those seven days to live in those huts as a sort of reliving The journey of salvation that their ancestors had walked through in the wilderness. It's not dissimilar from the Lord's table, which we will celebrate next week. A reliving and a reenacting to remember, to point us back to who our God is and what he's done for us. And on each day of those seven days in Jerusalem, they were to come to the temple and offer an offering of fire offering of fire and light to the Lord. And on the eighth day, there was to be a corporate assembly in the temple. And by the time Jesus had arrived, this festival was also accompanied by the temple tradition of drawing water in the temple courts, which was a reminder of how the Lord God supernaturally provided water from a rock, not on one occasion, but on two occasions in the wilderness. To give life to a people in a place that was harsh and barren and there was no life. And it was also accompanied by the lighting of lamps and torches in the temple at night. And this was accompanied by singing and dancing. And that in part is because for these festivals the Lord commanded that his people rejoice. Don't come with long faces. Save up your money in advance. Take care of your family. Come and celebrate and be intentional to set your hearts to have joy with singing and dancing and the lighting of these torches and lamps that night would take place and apparently according to rabbinical sources the glow from the light in the Temple Mount was so great that the entirety of Jerusalem at night was lit up by this light that would come from the Temple. And this, brothers and sisters, was a tribute To the spectacular way the Lord God had loved and led and provided for his people in the harsh and barren wilderness. 
And as you walk through Scripture, you see this is what God does. He calls us, like King David, to remember how I've loved you in the past. So in the present, when you are struggling and you are confronted with all the darkness of this world, rather than focusing on the darkness or your inadequacy to deal with the darkness, remember the greatness of the light of the world who was with you in the darkest of times and most difficult times, who did not abandon you and who supernaturally provided for you every step of the way so that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that, brothers and sisters, is what is special about Sukkot. Because it is during the wilderness wanderings that the Lord, after he's brought them out of Egypt, gives the children of Israel his covenant and his word at Sinai. And he gives his leadership and his love and his guidance through the light of his word. And he also shows them his love in a spectacular and unique way. How did the Lord do this? According to Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Lord God loved and led and cared for his people in the wilderness by personally coming to dwell with his people in the wilderness, living in a tent called a tabernacle in the very center of all their tents. What God does this? There are gods like Hercules and there are gods like Ram and Krishna and Vishnu who come down with their avatars and do spectacular feats and then disappear. Legends. But what kind of a God comes to his people as they're living in the wilderness and says, I will live with you. I will live like you. I will dwell in your midst. And in that tent called the tabernacle, there was an ark. And the ark of the covenant that was covered by a mercy seat, in that ark was placed the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. And over that tent, there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, what's referred to as the Shekinah, or the dwelling glory of the Lord, a demonstration to the children of Israel and to everybody who was watching all the way around. What Pastor Henry Tam reminded us of last week, as he reminded us of how the children of Israel were unaware of how much evil was around them and how much was waiting for them, but what backed them off? It was the light of God's Spirit and His Word that was visibly present. And everybody who was watching from a distance said, we're not going to go after them because that's the cloud, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led these people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and has brought them here. The light of the world dwelling with his people, dwelling with them in love and providing a way for sinners who could not draw near to him to be in fellowship with him. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the Old Testament. Same God. Good news of God's word. He doesn't come and say, okay, you go and do a pilgrimage to Mecca. And if you do it, you'll be a special person and you'll be referred to as a haji. He doesn't say you make a special trip to Lourdes or to Rome and because you walked up those steps you get extra miles and you're extra holy. He doesn't say you have to be a spectacular saint like Mother Teresa or Saint Augustine. 
He knows that we live in a dark world. He knows we are sinners. He knows we can't make it out of the darkness on our own. We need his light and we need his life. And so he comes and he dwells with his people and he lives with us and he loves us and he shows us what true life and light is all about. And he becomes our moral compass to show us the difference between good and evil, truth and grace versus the lies and the meritocracy of this world. He doesn't say get it all together or go to a boarding school and when you've graduated and gotten into college then I'll welcome you in. He's the God of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil because you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me. Brothers and sisters this is the love and light of God. And as he dwelt with those people, his love and his light and his life was to become their love and their light and their life. And they were to become the light to the nations that would show all the other nations around, from Egypt to all the Hittites and the Philistines and all those, hey, there's something here that is different. This is where salvation is. This is where the one true God is. This is where the light of the world resides. We need to come there. And we need to find out what this is all about. There was only one thing that the Lord asked of his people. As they wandered through the wilderness. Yes, there are many commands. But it really comes down to one thing. All that was required of them, brothers and sisters. Was that they follow the light. And the tragedy, of course, is because you have to do that by faith. When they looked around and saw the giants, when they looked around and saw the enemies, when they looked around and saw the riches and the wealth, they lost focus on the light. And they would rather have the things of the world and then darkness and death and blurring the lines between good and evil came in. And of course, this is where those prophecies in Isaiah that Ted read and J.C. read God is preaching and proclaiming to his people, you need to repent. You're showing up to church. You're practicing all the festivals. But your heart is far from me. You don't possess the light of life. You possess a festival. But what you really need is to follow me. And if you follow me and follow the light, you will become like me. And you will possess my light and my life. But you read the book of Isaiah and you see the indictment is they couldn't tell right from wrong. They thought they were too good. And over the centuries, when Jews came to Jerusalem, after everything that God had promised had come true, that descent into darkness and death. When they came to celebrate Sukkot and the light and salvation of the Exodus, they did so mindful of the promises the Lord God had given in His Word. That though they had walked away from the light of God, if they humbled themselves and they cried out to the Lord God who had saved them in the Exodus, he would hear them. And one day he would send a Messiah, a son of Abraham and David, who would restore the light of God's spirit and his word to his people. And so save them from their own darkness and their own sin. And so this is why Isaiah writes, 
In Isaiah 42, 6, he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, and those who sit in darkness. And then in Isaiah 63, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Christmas. This is what sets apart Advent and Christmas. This is what we prepare for. It's what's revealed in the Gospels. That the light of the world is faithful to all his promises. That he did indeed come as promised. To save his people from their sins. And to deliver us from darkness. How? It's what we've sang about. By coming to dwell with us in a tent similar to ours. In the womb of a virgin named Mary. In flesh and blood. A baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem. Heralded by the song of angels. And the light of a star. And the light of the heavenly host. That brought wise men from the east. And shepherds watching their sheep by night. People who had had no access or no way of knowing. Who Jesus is or what was going on. It's the light of the Lord doing for sinners what they could not do for themselves, bringing them out of the darkness so that they could stand in the light of God's own Son, the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus says to the Jews in the temple who are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, I am the light of of the world. I'm the Lord God who led you through the desert. I am the rock that gave you water when there was none. I am the one who won every victory. I'm the one who brought light into your darkness and loved you and led you and cared for you in a world of darkness and death. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And here Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, I believe there's an implication about the true heart of darkness. We think of darkness as being the absence of physical light. And we know with our power outages, especially we who live in Milpitas, I don't know about the rest of you with all the rolling blackouts we get. Maybe not so in Santa Clara and Sunnyvale. But nonetheless, all the rolling blackouts that we get, we know how long it goes where you can survive without light. But here Jesus and the Apostle Paul later points out if this is true for physical light, how much more, brothers and sisters, for spiritual light? How long can you go without spiritual light? Without things turning sour? Without things turning dark? Without being able to find your way around? Without being absolutely lost? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here Jesus refers to his very own life. What he came to the earth to do, to bring his life into our fallen world. And that is the life that serves as the light that created the world and that saves us from our sin. A life that shows us what is right from wrong. A light that shows us who God is. 
A light that shows us the truth and grace and mercy and righteousness and goodness of the God who created us. A love and truth and mercy and grace that is greater than our sin. This, brothers and sisters, is the life of the beloved Son of God who gave His life on a cross as the Lamb of God, as the substitute and sacrifice for your sins and mine. For what purpose? So that we can stay in the dark? No. To bring us on an exodus out of the dark so that we might walk with Him in the light of the world and so that His light and His life might become our light and our life. He came, brothers and sisters, so that His light and life would reside in our hearts and our homes and every aspect of our lives through the power of His Spirit and through the power of His Word and through the Gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is what sets apart Christmas from all those other celebrations. This is what Advent is about and why we get excited. Yes, there are gifts. I'm excited about that. Yes, there are family events. I'm excited about that. Yes, there's good food. I am excited about that. And we should celebrate. But brothers and sisters, we miss it all if we don't see what it is that causes us to celebrate for all those things. That the light of the world has come to dwell with us and in us by the power of His Spirit and His Word. So brothers and sisters, as we consider this time of the year, there's a massive Christmas tree up here, courtesy of the SDA. The tradition of Christmas trees, contrary to popular opinion that said it was a pagan rite, it's something that came in northern Europe and also Germany, where the evergreen tree, which stayed green, similar to the tree of Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17, this tree that persists even in the cold, dark winter months where all the other trees have died, where there is only darkness and cold. This is a tree that becomes a symbol for the life that Christ gives. And so at Christmas time, when Christ comes, it is brought into the house to demonstrate this is where Christ has come. He didn't come to stay far away in a church or in heaven. He came to be in our hearts and our homes. And the typical tradition would be that those Christmas trees would be trimmed. And they would be trimmed in the shape of a triangle. Because at that time and place, the triangle was a symbol for the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The source of this eternal life. And candles would be put on the tree. As a testimony to the reality that this life of God that Christ came at Christmas to give us is a life that brings light into our hearts and our homes. And then not wanting to waste anything. Many of those families would take the trimmings of that tree and put them into wreaths rather than waste them. A circle, a carryover from the Greek and Roman games, a symbol of victory, but also a ring, a symbol of eternal life. And on that wreath, placing candles lighting one for each week until the hope is fulfilled, Christmas comes, and we remember that one day Christ is coming again. Now, brothers and sisters, it's helpful to understand why we do what we do and how all of this points to the reality that Jesus is the light of the world. And as Christians, we have every reason to celebrate. 
But brothers and sisters, Christmas trees and wreaths and candles are simply signs. They are not a substitute for the reality of Christ dwelling in our hearts and homes, bringing light and life where there is only darkness. And as you read the rest of John 8, the tragedy as you read the rest of John 8 is as Jesus says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me in the same way the children of Israel were to follow the Shekinah glory in the desert will not walk in darkness but will have, will actually possess the light of life, my life. The vast majority of those who had gathered for Sukkot were offended and they walked away. They would rather have the lighting of the lamps in the temple. They would rather have the temple. They would rather have the drawing of the water. Dare I say, if they were here with us, they would rather have the Christmas tree and the lights and the Backstreet Boys and Mariah Carey and the Christmas albums and the turkey. Well, we have enough. We're God's people. We've got the Christian traditions. We've got the light. We've got the celebration. That's why we gather together. And yet the tragedy, brothers and sisters, is they didn't realize how blind they were. And I say this to our church family. If you're visiting, you're a guest. But for our church family, brothers and sisters, among some of the blindest people in the world are people who sit in church pews. And they don't know Jesus, but because they know the Bible and they know the traditions and the secret handshake, they think they have it together. And what they're missing is what Jesus has commanded and said. Follow me. Follow me. And so the exhortation, brothers and sisters and church family, Advent for the next few weeks, enjoy it. Eat good food. Get good gifts. Get great deals. Love your new fiancés, okay? Love your old fiancés too. You know, gather together with friends and people. But you have a gift that this world so desperately needs. You have the light of the world. And he's come to live with you in your heart. And what a shame if you took that great gift and you hid it somewhere. And you never looked at it. Let alone followed it. I give my wife a hard time. Because sometimes some of the gifts of jewelry I gave her back in the day before I became a a pastor... She locks up and she keeps hidden. I was like, I didn't put all this time. Went to this place, went to that place, put it on. Right? She feels embarrassed about that. That's our past life, right? We're supposed to be hermits and monks these days. And they were just small things. But brothers and sisters, we need to rejoice and celebrate. The Lord commands it. To remember his goodness and grace that he gave up everything to come and live with us and dwell with us and love us so that his light and life might become ours. And so we have to ask ourselves this time of the year, who are you following? Who are you following? On your Instagram accounts, on your social media, on Facebook and everywhere else, who are you following? Well, there's only one person that matters, brothers and sisters. And my prayer is that the joy of Christmas will be yours. And I'll close with one thought. One of the best times in my life, especially in high school, was a summer when I volunteered at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And I had the opportunity to be a camp counselor at their summer camps that they held 
for blind students. And of course, all they really needed was a body and a pair of eyes who could sleep in the tents with them when they went camping. Because when you can't see and you got to go potty in the middle of the night, you got big troubles, right? So this is the job requisite of a counselor. That at one or two in the morning, when you got that yank on your sleeve, you had to get up and you had an arm on your shoulder or an arm on your arm and you had to go out into the woods, into the dark. And what was essential for that, brothers and sisters, was a flashlight. Because if you couldn't see the way, you were going to either trip on a tree trunk or bump into a tree trunk or go in the right direction or perhaps even be lost out there on the way back at night. I was there simply to provide a light for someone so they could safely make it through the dark and make it back to their tent at night. But for that purpose, I needed to be there for the entire week and sleep with them in their same tents. And brothers and sisters... Beyond that, this is what Christ has done for us. He's come to people who cannot see. We have to be honest with that. And unless we're honest and say, well, I can't see, I need your help, we'll be wandering around in circles in the dark at night. Or we can say we can't see, and like those blind students, they would grip my shoulder or hang on to my elbow for dear life in order to get back to their tent safely. Brothers and sisters, are you hanging on to the light? Let's close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, there's only one light that really matters, and it is you. Thank you so much for coming 2,000 years ago. There are many in our midst, Lord Jesus, who are just going through a hard time, the loss of jobs, the loss of relationships, some the loss of health and family challenges. Lord Jesus, would the good news of Christmas remind them that in our darkest moments, the good news of the gospel is that the light of the world dwells in our hearts and homes, that you will never leave us or abandon us. And the help and the light and the joy and the goodness we need does not come from men, but it comes from you. And would you help us, Lord, by faith to cling to you and to follow you and to celebrate you because you are the source of our light and our life. In your name we pray, amen.